of talking about love. And that might see, uh, seem on the surface like a rather easy thing to talk about within uh, today's culture because hardly anyone we meet is against love. But the Bible invites us to wonder about love in a very different way than our society might. Our society would tell us that love is love, which is uh, something that we learn as children we shouldn't do. You don't define something by using the word itself. You don't describe a, uh, a bratwurst. Someone says, well, what's a bratwurst? I've never had one of those before. Well, what, what is it? Is it, is it a, like, describe it to me. Well, it's a brat. It's unhelpful. It doesn't really provide us with any kind of explanation or definition. And, and yet there's uh, some assumptions that sit underneath that phrase, right? There's some assumptions that sit underneath the phrase, love is love. And, and that is that the individual uh, gets to define what it means for me. And as long as my understanding of what's good for me, what I like, what, what makes me uh, feel good, what affirms who I am, as long as that doesn't bump up against anyone else or against anyone else's definition, then we're, we're all going to be okay. But I would invite us to wonder about the difference between love and acceptance with a simple illustration. Say you want to love someone who comes to your house. And that individual decides that they are going to uh, stay after supper. And by stay, I mean stay. They decide that they are going to sleep on your couch. And there's a certain level of you that says, you know, it would have been nice if they had asked. But the loving thing to do is to make room for them and so... You grab an extra blanket, you grab an extra pillow, and so you say, hey, you know, use the couch. There's, uh, there's some food in the fridge. If you're still hungry, there's cups in the cupboard. You can, you can use those. And so you head off to bed. And, and then after you uh, have gotten sort of things, you got your pajamas on, you head to the bathroom, and you're ready to brush your teeth, and you realize that the guest is now using your toothbrush. And you're thinking, well, this isn't, I'm not exactly sure what the loving thing to do here is because uh, at least in terms of tolerance, to, to love someone would be to, to say, well, I guess if you want to use my toothbrush, it's okay. And I guess I can get a different toothbrush, but you realize that you don't have any other toothbrushes. You forgot to order some. And so now what do you do? And so you use the bathroom, and then you realize that the person that has decided to stay at your house is not on the couch. They're, in fact, in your bed. And they've decided to sleep in a different manner than you typically sleep in, which is with pajamas. <laughs> it's hard for us to know when love is love, when love is simply defining itself, to know exactly what does that mean? 
right? Even as we sort of think about this situation, which most of us don't have unless we're related to the person that's staying in our home, we're not coming up against this. But there, we, we get this sense that there is a difference between hospitality and welcoming and tolerance. We get this sense that there is a, a line that separates opening our home and just opening the door, right? We get this sense that there are certain things which define hospitality and welcome and love that don't open the door for everything else. And even culturally, we have a sense of this, right? We, we get a sense of this, and maybe some of us have experienced this in our neighborhood or maybe at our places of work where someone will say something like, well, that's not loving, and you'll say, well, this is how I live. Right? And, and all of a sudden, there's this, there's this tension over what love actually is. And the danger for us as Christians, the danger for us as followers of Jesus Christ is to buy into the cultural message and say, well, we don't agree with a cultural definition of love as love, but we, we, we want to say, well, love is... We still want to hang on to our own ability to define what it is. And yet, a passage like Colossians chapter 3 doesn't allow us the freedom to do that. It doesn't provide us with the flexibility or the wiggle room to say, well, you know, for this corner of the church, love can mean this, and for this corner of the church, it can mean this. No, there's a very clear, delineated, well-defined understanding of what love is and how to live it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Notice that we're starting again with the indicative, a reminder that God does the work first. In the book of Exodus, God doesn't come to Israel, bring them to Mount Sinai, or, uh, and say, here are the Ten Commandments, Here how, here's how you obey me, and once you figure it out, then I will deliver you from Egypt. No, he saves them first. He sets them free, he gets them out of bondage, and then says, here's now how you live. God begins with the indicative, the, the sense that we are saved, we are set apart, we are loved, and because we are loved, this then is how you live. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Compassion not being a oh, that's really cute, but a gut-level, heart-wrenching, there is something wrong and I can feel, I want to respond. Compassion is that gut level. There is, when something isn't right, we relate. Clothe yourselves with kindness. Kindness is goodness in action. Humility. The active lowering of self to the benefit of another. 
clothe yourself with gentleness. Gentleness is to not live out of one's sense of self-importance, but living in a way that is aware of and in elevating others. Patience. When's the last time you needed to be patient with yourself? By nature, patience involves others. And notice in every single one of these, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, there is a clear sense that there are other people in the room. There are other people who are impacting us. It's like the guest who has come for supper and said that they are going to stay. Now what do we do? Bear with each other. Forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on, there's that word, put on love, which binds them all together. We might say, which makes sense of them all, which allows them to somehow fit together in a way that makes sense. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, what's fascinating about verse 14 there, over all these virtues, put on love, is that we in 2023 think it's pretty natural for love to be the highest of virtues. Like if I were to ask you or you were to ask your neighbor or a coworker, even if they're not a believer, and you'd say, what's the best thing you could do? They'd probably say, well, you love people. But that hasn't always been the case. Some of us as children learned that the, the Greeks elevated arete, right? The sense of boldness and greatness. The Romans elevated courage and wisdom. It wasn't until the Christian faith that love actually got elevated. And so it's worth noting that at least culturally, when Paul writes this, over all of these virtues put on love, he's speaking into a culture where this would not have made perfect sense. So we're in many ways at home with the Colossians. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So how do we define love here? We'll go back to verse 12, if you have your Bible open. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Those three phrases show up repeatedly, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. In 1 Chronicles, the Israelites are gathered in the temple, ready to dedicate it, ready to figure out who they are in the promised land, now that God's house of worship is permanent. And the prayer is, you, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones. In Isaiah, when the prophet is reminding God's people of who they are, he writes, 
my people, my chosen ones, the people who I formed for myself. On the banks of the Jordan River, when God's people are ready to cross into the promised land, a big historical time for them. You are a people holy to the Lord. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. But he did not set his affection on you. He did not love you or choose you because of your greatness. There's those phrases again. Chosen, holy, set apart, and dearly loved. God, when he wants his people to know what love is, roots it in history. He roots it in past actions that he has completed. I took you from nowhere to be somewhere. I took you who were no people to become people. I took you who had no strength and ability of your own to become people who matter and belong, not because you earn or deserve, but because of what I have done. Love, then, for the people of God is built not just for God on history, but for you and I on history. It's why one of the pieces of furniture that we have in front of us when we worship is the font. We are covenant people who root our history and relationships together in the past. We intentionally remind ourselves that our individual story may have a beginning, September 27, 1982, but that's not when I started. I was buried with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. I was raised to life with Christ. I was chosen before the foundation of the world with in Christ. And that is true for each one of us in Jesus. And Paul keeps rooting us in that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, that the love which we have for each other is built on the covenant promises of God for us that are then expressed to each other as the communion of saints, the community of faith. And even when we gather around the font and we make promises to each other, we root those promises in what God has promised to us. Love has a historical sense. Holy and dearly loved, set apart, chosen over against Another, we might say it this way, love is exclusive. And that is not something that we like to value in today's day and age. The idea that we have to commit to one person, that we have to make ourselves exclusive, would, would be to go against the countercultural narrative which, which says that love is, is free. But consider, consider the idea that as we looked many weeks ago, that every no and defines, or excuse me, every yes 
immediately assumes a no. To say yes to being here means that you have to say no to being elsewhere. When you say yes to one relationship, that means you have to say no to a different relationship. When you say yes to the people of God, it opens up all kinds of relationships to you. And in fact, it provides you with freedom within those bounds to express the past relationships we have together in all kinds of new and fascinating ways. But it does mean saying no to other things, which is what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 3 when he says put to death, get rid of, chosen, holy, dearly loved. When Jesus was on this earth and he wanted his disciples to best understand what love in action expressed means, he says this, greater love has none than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. When Paul begins to unpack how the people of God are to live in relationship with one another, it's almost as if he cannot help but remind them that this is never about their own power or ability, but it's always about what God has done first. Or you can imagine a conversation with someone. Forgive one another. If anybody has a grievance against each other, forgive them. Well, you don't know my friend. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the situation. And then Paul, before he even pauses, says, well, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all the virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Well, I don't know how to do that. It makes me really anxious to think about how to do that. I'm not quite sure how to put all of that into practice. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. It's almost as if Paul recognizes that when we think about trying to love each other in the way that God calls us to love, with a past in mind, with truly committing ourselves in promise and covenant to to live with the depth and the significance with which God has loved us, Paul wants us to catch that unless we do that in his strength, in his power, there's always going to be something that will hold us back. There's always going to be something that will get in the way. There's always going to be a voice that will rise up and say, I'm not sure. And so Paul roots this. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And that allows us, that allows us when the house guest comes over to say that I love you but this is my bed and this is my toothbrush. Because love recognizes the past we have with people. And if the past isn't very long or hasn't been as laid out or hasn't been well-defined, then love looks different. 
and to be set apart, to recognize that the, the way in which we do this is going to be different in different situations. God loves each one of us based on how he made us in his likeness. Yes, is the expression of Jesus the same? Absolutely. But the way in which we come to Jesus, the way in which we know about Jesus, the way in which the Spirit of God reveals Jesus to us is different. The way that God expresses his love for us is unique and different. And so the way in which we love one another will also be different. And so as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, God loved first, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray. God, you call us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to love you above all. That is the first and the greatest commandment. To love our neighbor is the second, just like it. And as we noted last week, we can't just do the one. We, we have to love you by loving our neighbors. And that's tricky. It's especially tricky for those of us living in 2023 because the way that we understand love is so impacted by the cultural narratives and stories around us. And so, God, when we consider how to love, help us to do it that through the framework of Jesus Christ and of your love for us. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. That you chose us. That you set us free. And then you also call us into obedience. You call us to be set apart. You call us to reflect the light of Christ. You call us to show the nations what it means to be the people of God. And so to that end, God, help us by the power of your Spirit to love well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.